We'll be in the book of Jude tonight. The book of Jude, near the end of the Bible, second to last book of the Bible. Jude, and we'll be reading, uh, well, we're, we'll read verses 1 and 2. Uh, we looked at the first half of verse 1 a couple weeks ago, uh, and we'll look at the second half of verse 1 and verse 2 tonight, but we'll read verses 1 uh, and 2 together this evening. Jude, verses 1 and 2, I invite you to hear God's Word. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray and ask His blessing on our study of it tonight. Father in heaven, um, we're eager to come now to Your Word and to hear You speak to us. And so, Lord, we ask that You would do that that you would speak to us through your word tonight, and that you would enable us, Father, to to see things from your word we've never seen, to hear things we've never heard, to understand things we've never understood, and to believe things we've never believed. This all for the glory of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Dear congregation, I will remind you that Jude here is writing a letter in which he's encouraging his readers to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And the reason they must contend for the faith is because certain people have crept into the church unnoticed, and these people have preached a false gospel in which they pervert the grace of God into a license for sin. Essentially, these people have said, hey, it doesn't matter how you live. You can live however you want so long as you love Jesus. And Jude says, no, this is, this is, this is bad. This is wrong. This is a perversion of the gospel. Now, before Jude gets into the meat of this letter, he wants his readers to be fully aware of two important details. First, Jude wants us to know who he is, and he tells us who he is right at the very beginning of the letter. We looked at it last time. He says he is Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James. The second detail Jude wants us to know is who we are as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jude tells us exactly who we are as believers in Christ in verses 1b and 2. There he tells us that we are people who are called, beloved, kept, and blessed. We are called, beloved, kept, and blessed. This evening, we're simply going to think about each one of those precious descriptions that Jude ascribes to the believer in the opening of his letter. So the first one is, is called. Jude says uh, that this letter is to those who are called. He's reminding us that, that believers are called Called by whom? Well, believers are called by by God, of course. Throughout Scripture, we see that our God is a God who 
calls his people. He, he calls Abraham. He calls Jacob. He calls Moses out of the burning bush. He calls Israel at Mount Sinai. He calls Samuel that night when he has a dream. He, he calls David through the prophet Samuel. He calls Isaiah in a vision. He calls the 12 disciples. He calls the apostle Paul, okay, over and over and over again in scripture. We see that our God is a God who calls his people. Romans 3.11 says, no one seeks God. No one. You don't. I don't. None of these people from scripture whom I just mentioned do. No one seeks God, but praise be to God, he seeks men, and he calls them. He calls them. Now where where does God call us to? Well, he calls us to himself. God calls men and women out of their unbelief to himself to love him and to trust him and to be saved by him. The apostle Peter puts it this way. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All right, God calls us out of darkness into his light. He calls us to himself that we might be saved by him through Jesus Christ. Now, how does God call us? He calls us to himself. How does he call us? He calls us through the gospel, right? 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God calls us to himself through the gospel. God calls us to himself through the good news of forgiveness for our sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how we come to know him and, be, uh, and, and love him and, and be his own. So God calls us to himself, God calls us through the gospel, and here's the most important detail I think so far as the letter Jude is concerned. God calls us to be holy. He calls us to be holy. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse seven says, for God has not called us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 2 Timothy 1.8 says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. God has called us to be holy, and now we can see, I think, why Jude takes just a second at the very beginning of this letter to remind his believing readers who they are. Because the false teachers were saying what? They were saying, it doesn't matter how you live. All that matters is that you love Jesus. It doesn't matter how you live. Jude says, not true. Not true. Remember, you've you've been called. Called by God. Called through the gospel. Called to be holy as God is holy. 
Remember that next time you're, you're tempted to sin. Just say to your heart, no, I am called to be holy. I think you'll be surprised at what grace you find in the battle against sin simply by reminding yourself of that truth, right? That you are called to be holy. So that's the first descriptor Jude gives us of who we are as believers in Jesus. We are called. Second, we're beloved. We're beloved. The Christian is beloved. He says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father. Now, there's some debate over how to translate the preposition here. The ESV, what we're using, says that we are beloved in God the Father. The NIV, which many of us are familiar with, uh, says we're beloved by God the Father. Now, both ideas are true and affirmed other places in Scripture. I think in is a better translation, and I'll tell you why I think that in just a minute. But I also, I also, I don't think there's a whole lot of a difference, uh, because certainly those beloved in God the Father are beloved by God the Father. But the main point here is this, God's people are a beloved people. God's people are a beloved people, and let's just think together about God's love for us. Let's just recognize that God's love for us, it's, it's the basis for, for our calling, isn't it? Judah's already said that we're a called people. Why has God called us to himself? Why has he called you to himself? Why has he called me to himself when there are countless people in the world whom God has not called to himself? Why, why has he called you and I to himself? Does he, does he draw our names out of a hat? Is there something about us that he finds attractive? The answer of scripture is, is no. He calls us because, as Ephesians 1, 4 says, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Scripture teaches that, that before the foundation of the world, God, God chose a people for salvation in Christ. And the basis for this choice, the basis for this election was his sovereign, gracious love. In love, he predestined us. And this love, which God bestowed upon his people before the foundation of the world, it's the basis for our calling. Why has God called you to himself? Because he loves you. And this love that, that God has for us, it's revealed where? It's revealed at the cross, isn't it? How do you, how do you know God loves you? The answer is by looking at the cross. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is the basis for our calling. God's love is revealed at the cross. God's love is, God's love is realized when it's realized in conversion. Paul spoke of a conversion in our prayer time. What happens in conversion? A person comes to recognize the love of God in Christ, don't they, in conversion. That's what happens. They realize that, that God loves me. 
And as the song says, he loves me in spite of me. We sang that. That's what happens in conversion. That's when God's love is realized. That's when we come to know it. One more, God's love is to be abided in. God's love is to be abided in. We see this when we skip down to verse 21. All right, if your Bibles are open, look what Jude says there. In verse 21, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. So in uh, verse one, Jude tells believers that God loves them, and then in verse 21, he tells believers that they must keep themselves in the love of God. This is why I think the best translation uh, of verse one is that we're beloved in God the Father, because later in this same letter, Jude speaks of God's love almost as if it's its own sphere that you and I must be sure to remain in. And no doubt we see that idea in other places of scripture. What does Jesus say? John 15, abide in me. Again, it's the same idea, almost as if Jesus is is sort of a, a sphere that we must be sure to remain in as believers. Now, so far as remaining in Christ goes, In 1 John, we see some, I think, helpful language. 1 John 2 verse 6 says this, whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. 1 John 3 24 says whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. So there we're, we're told, aren't we, how to remain in the love of God. It's by faith manifesting itself through obedience to God's word that we remain in the love of God. That's how we, that's how we abide in God and keep ourselves in God's love. We don't, we don't earn God's love. God gives us his love freely and graciously in Christ, but we must remain in that love by trusting Christ and by following Christ and by being obedient to Christ. Think of it this way. My wife uh, pledged me her love on our wedding day. As I honor her, as I serve her, as I love her, as I remain faithful to her, I, 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 I keep myself in her love, as it were. But if I, would be, if I would be unfaithful to her, if I would, if I would treat her cruelly, uh, if I would chase after other women, uh, I would not be keeping myself in her love and I might quickly find myself outside of her love. There's a similar dynamic at play in our relationship with God. Those who are unfaithful to God Those who walk in pride and unrepentance will find themselves outside of his love in Christ. Remember what Jesus says? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And again, we can see why Jude is is reminding us here at the beginning of this letter who we are. Because the love of God constrains us to to live a certain way. The the love of God calls us to keep ourselves in God's love. 
So we're, we're called and we're loved or beloved. Jude reminds us also that we're, we're kept. We're kept. Jude writes to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Once again, there's a debate over which preposition should be used here. The ESV says we're kept for Jesus Christ, as if God the Father is, is keeping us for Jesus in order that he might present us to Jesus at the end of the age. The NIV says we're kept by Jesus Christ, as if Jesus is the one who is actually and actively keeping us. Both of those are biblical truths, so both of them are, are, are possible translations. Uh, and perhaps, perhaps Jude uses these ambiguous pronouns simply so that he might encompass both of those truths. I don't know. This much is sure. Christians are a kept people. We are kept by Jesus Christ. We are kept for Jesus Christ. And so, so the good news is what? It's that even as we must keep ourselves in the love of God, we do it knowing that we are at the same time being kept by God. All right, we must keep ourselves in the love of God, and we keep ourselves in the love of God knowing that as we keep ourselves in the love of God, we are being kept by God in his love. All of these things are sort of happening at the same time. Let me ask, have you, have you ever spent time pondering this truth that God keeps his people? Have you ever taken time to consider, or just take the time now to consider, that the only reason, the only reason you remain faithful to Jesus Christ today is because God has kept you. That's it. That's what the Bible teaches us. The only reason you've kept yourself in the love of God is because God has kept you in his love. Think about where you'd be apart from God's keeping grace. Think about where you'd be if God hadn't put this person in your life to hold you accountable. Think of where you'd be if God hadn't put that person in your life to, to speak a hard truth into your life. Think of where you'd be if God, hadn't, if God hadn't somehow turned your heart from desiring this particular sin. Right? Just think about it, it's remarkable. We keep ourselves in the love of God because God, God keeps us in his love. And no doubt this, this note that we are a, a kept people, this note is going to be sounded loudly and triumphantly at the end of this letter when Jude offers that glorious doxology, right? Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and great joy to the only God our Savior be glory and power and majesty and authority before all ages now and forevermore. Right, that's where Jude's going to end this letter, on that note, that God keeps us. Jude says one more thing about believers in this letter opening, and it's that, it's that we're blessed. We're called, we're beloved, we're kept, we're blessed. Now, Jude doesn't use the word blessed here. Instead, he just lists a few of the blessings that are ours in Christ. He says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, I was never very good at math. In fact, I was awful at math. 
Uh, but I do know this. I do know that you can't multiply anything by zero. Multiply anything by zero, and it's always zero. And so when Jude prays, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, he is implying, isn't he, that we in some measure already have these things. We in some measure already possess mercy, peace, and love. Now Jude wants us to have them in fuller measure. He wants us to know these blessings to an even greater degree, but But his words here indicate, don't they, that that mercy, peace, and love are three blessings the believer has now already in Christ. Mercy, mercy is a precious word for sinners like us. It's a word that that speaks of of undeserved kindness and compassion. It's a word that, that speaks of God's not treating us as our sins deserve. And we most certainly have mercy in Christ, don't we? Absolutely we have mercy in Christ. Let me ask, do you you need mercy today? Our world isn't, isn't into mercy. Our world would much rather cancel those who offend than show them mercy. It's a very oppressive system that we've established. Get it right or you're out. That's the message of the world, but it's not the message of the gospel. In the gospel, God promises mercy to sinners through Jesus Christ. And so I assure you tonight, whoever you are, maybe you're the mother who got angry with her children today, you're the father or husband who's put himself first, you're the 20-something who's been drunk all weekend, you're the middle-aged man who was looking at pornography, whoever you are, you must know that there is mercy for you in Christ. Of course, mercy leads to peace. Okay, when God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, when he forgives us on the basis of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, that leads to peace. Peace is a product of mercy, and peace, like mercy, is a blessing afforded to the believer. The believer has peace in and through Jesus Christ. The third blessing Jude mentions is love. Love. In Christ, we have love. We have the love of God for us. We have our own love for God and for our neighbor, right? In Christ, we we know love. We are able to love. Mercy, peace, and love, these are blessings afforded to us in Christ. And like Jude says here, don't, don't be content with knowing these blessings in small measure. Ask God to multiply these blessings in your life. Anyway, the other day, the other day I came across uh, an article, uh, and the article said 18 things you should tell yourself in the mirror every morning. You can see where this is going, can't you? Well, I won't read all of those 18 things for you, but I'll read a few of them. These are, these are some of the things, according to the internet, you should tell yourself in the mirror every morning. Uh, today is a new day. I am the best version of me. What does that even mean? Yesterday doesn't define me. We all have secrets. I can achieve all my dreams. 
I deserve the best. You know, typical self-help gobbledygook. Talking in the mirror, uh, it, it really isn't my thing. But if you insist on it, I might suggest that you follow Jude's lead and you say something like this, in Christ, I am called, beloved, kept, and blessed. In Christ, I am called, beloved, kept, and blessed. See what that does for your psyche. See what that does for your mindset. See what that does for your heart. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, how vast the benefits divine that we in Christ possess. We are called, beloved, kept, and blessed. Father, help these to not be just simple abstract realities and truths which have no bearing upon our soul, but help these things to be real, real in our lives. Help these things to be experienced in our lives and help us to live our lives in the light of these wonderful truths that in Christ we are called, beloved, kept, and blessed by you, the creator of heaven and earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray.